Thank you for joining us in this week's episode of The Road to Reconstruction, where we are seeking a healthier view of God and creating a safe space for those who might be doubting the existence of God today. Today, we interview my good friend, Daniel Knudsen. Daniel is such an amazing guy. He's super intentional. He's super kind and loving and has so much knowledge about Christ. Daniel has directed quite a few awesome Christian movies, and you might have seen one of them before. In this episode, he actually talks to us about a brand new movie that he's working on right now, and I'm super excited for all of you guys to hear about it. Today, my guest is a nine wing eight on the Enneagram. He is an ENTP on the Myers-Briggs. He is an amazing Christian movie director, and he has directed movies such as Sky Dog, Courageous Love, and Dinosaur Cove. Everyone, this is my conversation with Daniel Knudsen, and I hope you enjoy. So kind of explain to me what your upbringing was with church and everything. Sure, sure. So, you know, I grew up right here in Detroit, and it's so interesting how sort of just economic social structures and all of that play into faith, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was, my grandfather was a Nazi concentration camp survivor, was an extreme Polish uh, prisoner of war, devout Polish Catholic. So he and my grandmother you know, kind of brought that into our lives. They were, you know, very devout. My my dad had been raised in kind of a mainstream Presbyterian home. And then when my mom and dad got married, they, they raised us uh, Christian, like more on the evangelical side. But, you know, I also yeah. had that strong kind of heavy-handed Polish Catholic influence from my grandparents who were super devout. And, you know, growing up, we were, you know, on the very limited side of economic means. And so religion played like a real important role in your life. You know, you have yeah. to pray for everything, you know, you, mm-hmm. you, you need God at every corner. So yeah. I think from a very early age, you know, I had that strong kind of strong faith push like this is this is this is all there really is in life is yeah religion and faith and so it was interesting going from kind of that side of the train tracks to a couple decades later working alongside a lot of people in evangelical leadership people who had in some cases literally hundreds of millions of dollars of budget to carry out you know, wow. massive visionary ministry objectives that they had, that they could do things at a much larger scale and kind of seeing, you know, religion from sort of an executive standpoint yeah. on, on the, the big, the big faith side of the coin. But yeah, that was, I guess, kind of my experience. Wow. Dude, that's crazy. So one thing you said in there was growing up from the, in the evangelical film industry or your family was like that, I kind of want to move towards the whole deconstruction movement. So kind of share with me what you believe is this whole deconstruction movement and what you think like that definition is. Sure thing. Well, we all live with social constructs, ways that we see the world based on our background where we live, where we lived, our Mm. life experience, our religious experience, all of these little things in our lives determine how we will see God. It determines kind of the way we paint sort of our definition of divinity. Mm, And a lot of us who've grown up in the church, uh, especially those of us who've grown up in kind of an American evangelical Christian background, we've had a lot of things kind of fed to us that have traditionally been the way we view God, the way we would define God, the way we define divinity, the way we see God, all of of these things. And what's going on right now because of the internet and because of the massive sort of social upheaval that is going on globally, people are reconsidering a lot of their social constructs and they are deconstructing Mm some of the ways they've been raised to believe on certain things. And 
when this comes to a faith standpoint, specifically, you know, American evangelicals, we're seeing a mass exodus out of the church because people are asking deep questions that they haven't asked uh, as much maybe in previous generations. And I think the big mm -hmm. thing is though people have a lot more exposure than yeah. they've had in previous times. Yeah. In previous times, Christianity, in America at least, Christianity was the only game in town. That was, you know, the only major religious view in the neighborhood. That's what people were raised to believe. And now you have something very different. In our generation, we've got a lot of other people in our workplaces and our lives who don't believe the way we would believe on certain things. And we're more exposed to their beliefs and what they believe. And so, you know, when I was a kid, it was like, hey, we've got a book that says it's, it's, the truth. So that means you have to believe it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now we've got Muslim coworkers and friends and it's like, well, they also have a sacred book that says it's true and that yeah. they have to believe their book. And so the more knowledge people have about things like that, it kind of, it causes one to question the veracity of their own claims more. And it's, it's kind of like the the Old West. Back in the day, it was a frontier town and you had your cowboys and your gunslingers. But then a day came where the railroad went through. And when mm. the railroad went through, the town would never ever be the same because it was settled. The cattle would come down, come in and out on the train. The old cowboys didn't quite have the same position that they used to have. And so sort of what's happened on the religious frontier has been somewhat similar. Back in the frontier days, you could maybe get away with certain gunslinging and this and that, but the internet has kind of been this railroad that's brought in a lot of new information and exchanged mm, a lot yeah. of new ideas with people. And as a result, the town is rapidly changing and it's developing and modernizing. And so what we're seeing in the faith world, people are questioning longstanding traditions. And this is not just an American evangelical thing. This is definitely true in in Europe and kind of Christian den denominations outside of evangelicalism. Uh, my mom's family is from Poland. And the last time I was there, I was hanging out with uh, my uncle and we were having a little discussion about religion. And he just, you know, turned to some of the neighborhood children who are standing there right next to us. And he's like, well, how many kids in school would you say really believe in God? And how many would you say would be atheist? And the, the wow. young man said about 70% would probably be atheist. And, oh, wow. you know, Poland is one of the most conservative Catholic countries in the world. And so we're seeing a huge percentage of the young people, you know, walk away from a traditional definition of religion. And not only in the Christian world, the broader Christian world, but even into other religions, I'm connected in a little bit into uh, the Muslim world with a number of Muslim connections going back and forth to the Middle East. And I can tell you with especially Muslim young men who are exposed to new ideas on the internet, they're questioning a lot of the longstanding tradition things they've been taught in their faith structures. Oh, wow. So this whole yeah. deconstructing movement is a worldwide thing that's happening pretty much in in all faith systems as people are exposed to new information. And so some of that is really healthy yeah. uh, and that's necessary. People need to ask questions about Absolutely. what they've been taught and about what they believe yep. because you know truth is not found in who can give the talking points the loudest. People can be wildly false with their talking points, yeah. but the truth is that which is unchanging and that which is, I believe, ultimately God. Um, yeah. But people are asking some helpful questions and they're having all these conversations that they have not had to this extent in times past. Mm. Yeah, for sure. You know, the thing that's interesting to me, how you were saying the deconstruction movement is getting bigger now because of the internet. I personally didn't even know what deconstructing was until I think it was like 2020 when uh, Jonathan Steingard from Hawk Nelson came out. And I mean, because he was a big singer in the Christian world. And when he made, or when the article came out that said, hey, I'm deconstructing, I was like, oh, interesting. Like, I don't, I don't even know what this means. And then Reading it means, you know, he talks about walking away from his faith and everything. So, yeah, that's the 
crazy thing to me, and I know that it's been around for a while, but I guess that was the first time that I... I think it became really vogue in 2020, a lot of social upheaval with COVID and all of that, because I don't know if that word was very much in our cultural lexicon until about 2020. I think that was maybe the first time I had heard of that concept tied to that word. Oh, all right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because before you would think of, of it as somebody like just fell away or they're lost or yes, they're, they're an atheist what's the now. the church you know? word for that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Backsliding. Backsli- backsliding. <laughs> you are this close to backsliding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Armenian uh, or, you know, yeah. the Calvinist yeah. versus, Ar- yeah, yeah, I feel like it's like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. One thing I I think that broke my heart when... I heard that announcement of Jonathan uh, walking away from his faith wasn't even so much that he deconstructed or chose to do it, but just the way that Christians were reacting. Like I remember seeing um, one guy that I don't know was in my inner circle that was like, "Yep, this is a uh, this is what really separates the boys from the men." And like now that COVID's happening, like this is gonna start happening a lot more because people can't go to church. And I'm like. I don't know if that's the reason, though. Like, I, if you actually read his article and not just an article that was out there, he talks about how he was questioning for like a long time, and this was kind of like his well. Time to and come here out, you know? would be, I feel, a foundational reason why this whole deconstruction phenomenon has just taken off. Evangelicalism, like any other kind of close-minded fundamentalist belief system falls prey to the weakness that the agenda can become a lot more important than the truth. Yes. And unfortunately, that's really happened in the evangelical side of Christianity. The agenda is way more important than the truth. And so a lot of things were just being swept under the rug because they're not popular. And you have people even you know, teaching and reading the Bible just, you know, where it became all about catering to an audience and a demographic as opposed to a true search, a true um, journey and search for truth. Mm. And, you know, the way we've seen this manifest, there's all these sort of Christianisms and things that just exist in church culture that are just self-evidently not true. Mm. There's a giant Mm -hmm. movie in theaters right now, and a mutual friend of ours just saw it the other day. And he told me that it's got all these scenes where people are like, oh, you know, I was there doing drugs, but church is so much better than drugs. It's so much better than all that. And these are like one of these Christianisms. You will hear that testimony all the yeah. time if you're around church people, but it's like, uh-huh. folks, come on, that that acid trip was probably going to be a lot more fun than anything you're ever <laughs> going to do in church. It's going to be a much more intense experience. Yeah. And so we've got to stop saying things that are not actually true, but they've become really much sort of Christianisms. It's the talking points that people like. It's the audience, what the audience wants to hear. We've got kind of a conservative PG looking audience that wants to have soccer moms and, you know, soccer dads and a couple of kids and white picket fences and American dream. And they like these talking points. So Mm -hmm. go out and say these talking points and, if the talking points themselves though aren't really true, if you lie to people, even if it's for a good cause, eventually you're going to lose their trust. Yes. And that's the moment that we're at right now with the next generation. Yeah. And dude, it makes me think of back in the day where I remember going to like a, or I, I was walking around Detroit with my friends one time and there was an EDM fest going on. Okay. Yep. And there are pe- people with picket, picket signs yep. and the saying, if you don't repent, you're going to hell. Yeah. Like this is what you're going if to you hell d- for. If, if you don't accept our conclusions, yes. you're going to be tortured alive forever. Yeah. And God loves you unconditionally, but but if you're he will gay, also you're going to torture hell. you yeah. alive forever. Yes. And it, it's just that's such a self-evident contradiction of truth. There's no yeah. way that statement can be. There's no possible way that that statement can be correct. And. Mm. You know, we just keep offering all these Christianisms that don't add up, 
you yeah. know, you lose people. Yeah. Well, well, the thing, it, it was the interesting thing. They had a sign listing out all the sins of the okay. reason you're going to hell. So if you're gay, you're going to hell. If you're lying, you're going to hell. You, you know, like all, yeah. all the, this whole entire list, but they're out here like shaming and condemning yeah, people oh, yeah. and, and trying to strike fear into them. And um, I remember bringing that story up to my mom and I'm like, why do these people think this works? And she said, oh, well, here's the thing. It worked back in the day. And I was like, really? And she was like, oh, yeah. Like, people would line up with signs outside and there'd be people like falling to their knees and like wow. asking for Christ. But but the, the, the crazy thing is, is like, like shame only works for so long. Well, here's the thing. I would say this. Shame works as long as you have institutional power. When you have mm-hmm. institutional power, you can shame people into getting them to do what you want them to do because you've got the the institutional power backing. And 50 years ago and more, the church in America had institutional power in the culture. So you could shame people into stuff and they would do it because enough people kind of believed in the general church message and the church had enough influence in society that that did work. Mm. The problem is now the church does not have any institutional power in American culture Mm. for like realistically from a cultural standpoint, we've got some very cloistered institutional power within the four walls of the church, but just broadly speaking, there's very little respect for a pastor. If he gets on a talk show, there's very little respect for anything Mm. big religion has to say on a topic at this point in time in American culture, at least. Yeah. And so it no longer works. And while it may have even worked back in the day, if you had institutional power, it still isn't the right way to bring people into the kingdom because it's still using a very base motivation, using fear and force as a way to coerce people into making a certain change in their life. And Fear and force is a far weaker expression than power and love and truth that people are actually making decisions and changes based on something that they are determining uh, from their heart, not just a coercion that they're doing purely out of fear to avoid torture or suffering. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, my thought on the whole institutional power thing that you were saying, my thought isn't even so much that, but I, I'm curious yeah. is back then that it worked. I'm curious if it worked back then because we were selling them something that was counterfeit. So this is something I have thought about a lot of, I feel like a lot of the reason people deconstruct is because we sold them something that was once counterfeit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's completely why people are deconstructing. And I mean, that's what, it goes back to what I was saying before. If you lie to people, even if it's for a good cause, yeah. you lose their trust. Yep. And that's what happened. You know, we sold them a counterfeit bill of goods. And, you know, now the church is getting margin called by a smart secular culture. And people are discovering things that they heard, all these little Christianisms. A number of them weren't true. Some of them were correct, but some of them weren't were obviously not true. Yeah. And so it's having a disastrous impact on where we're at today with kind of the whole conversation around church and religion. And we're seeing, I mean, a huge exodus, even cool churches, a huge exodus of young people from, from religion, organized religion, you know, even very cool churches are becoming seriously lopsided Mm. in their internal demographics. Yeah. You know, they've got a lot of aging baby boomers in the congregation and very, very, very few young people. Wow. Yeah. You know, Jared with Ro and I were talking about this on the last podcast that I did with him. Um, and it was awesome. He he said that there's so many times where people are doing something out of fear. Oh, yeah. And I do think that if we don't have that right motivation, if we're doing it out of fear because somebody else told us that that's when things are going to go south. So I, oh, yeah. I, I can't help but have this image in my head of like, you're at, uh, you're at a Baptist church and a guy was raised his entire life there and was told like, Hey, these people are going to hell and they have to know that. And the guy 
just was raised that his entire life and he's like oh yeah that that's true i have to go out and tell them that now that he's growing up he has a kid now and now he tells his kid the same thing like hey you just have to go and tell these people that that they're going to hell and this this kid isn't speaking from conviction he's speaking from be- fear and manipulation from, yes. the way he was brainwashed to see the world and to see god and that all goes back to that social construct yeah how we construct our view of divinity and how it's been, you know, constructed is a result of ways we've been raised, religious traditions that we've been grown up in, and all of these things. And some of that can be healthy, and some of it can be very, very toxic. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I think of is how people think that deconstruction comes from us thinking for ourselves, but I think it comes from us not thinking for ourselves because the Bible even says question everything. Right. And there's been a lot of things that I've grown up with where I would quote verses and scripture all the time that I never read for myself. Like my mom would like tell me it or my dad would tell me it and I'm like, oh, well, that's true. And then I would just say to other people and they're like, oh, wow, yeah, that's a good point. And even though the verse that I quoted might have been correct or whatever it was, I wasn't speaking from conviction. I was just speaking because somebody else said right. it. And it's just programming, an internal program that's yeah. responding to the yeah. data. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And and I think from that, I think that's what us as Christians have done for a while, and I hope that we could start to see that that might be the reason why people are walking away is because we're selling them something that's counterfeit. We, we're not even speaking from our own conviction. Right. If we're just like, oh, well, our entire youth group said today that we're going to go out and um, share the gospel share the gospel with people. I don't really know it myself, but I'm going to try. Like, right. you know, well, I think that's... and the problem is we're trying to convince people of a supernatural experience that oftentimes people either haven't had themselves in the church or certainly yeah. aren't living in. Yeah. And so there's not that divine connection. You know, we're trying to sell someone almost the concept of a divine connection that we don't know how to experience ourselves. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's why it's just, it's not very effective in today's generational mindset. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm, I'm always very curious of what, what's the reason for that? Because I've, I've thought before, like growing up, like I remember saying to my mom of like, mom, like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, you know, I, the church always says like Jesus died for our sins, but like, why, why did he have to die? Like what, what was like kind of the repercussions before? And I didn't know the whole thing about like sacrificing animals and stuff and all that. And I feel like the church just kind of sometimes just, puts these things out and we don't even know the reason why like like there needs to be like a christian for dummies book of like explaining (laughs) the full thing it's like it's like throwing someone into like a coding class and they they're on like chapter 10 and you're like whoa i don't even know what coding is type thing you know where did this come from yeah why do we believe what we believe and yeah, that's definitely a serious problem. And then when people are encouraged to go ahead and repeat certain talking points and catchphrases, yeah, and they don't understand, you know, why we're even teaching this and what yeah. this message is, it's 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 long term, not yeah. a wise strategy. It's a bummer for sure. And and I guess that that takes me to the next point that I have is why do you think it's so beneficial for us to kind of have like a healthy view on these things, to have actual truth, to have a doctrine that's not problematic and to not just be speaking out of something we've been taught our whole life. Well, I think for me, one of the most important things in life is to have a healthy view of God. A healthy view of God will be not only a beneficial thing in our own lives personally, but it collectively does make a difference. I would say this foundational to a good society is the belief in a generous God. So developing a healthy view of God, I think is profoundly important just because of the personal benefits, societal benefits. But I mean, going beyond that, I think where the deconstruction movement gets it right is we need to get away from the toxic abusive wow 
things that we've accepted in our divinity construct and get rid of those and then move towards a healthy view. Yeah. Wow. Dude, that's crazy that you said that, that one thing that deconstructs instruction people got right because like, and I'm not, you know, I'm not here to say like you're wrong, but it's like they, they have the right passions and desires, I think. And I think sometimes it's a little out of balance, but yeah, to, to ask those questions to, um, yeah, not, not just believe everything blindly. Um, and I don't, I don't know. It's hard because obviously there's, there's faith. There's everything. an element of faith that is venturing out into the unknown for sure. Yeah. But what's the difference between that and just this sort of foolish blind faith that is not healthy. Yeah. It's just leading people into further delusion yeah. and then teaching other people to have that seems to be especially detrimental to people long-term. Yeah. So yeah, what is what is the distinction and the difference? And I think I think the distinction would be there's certain faith elements that I feel you can ground in a much more deeper and wider universal truth. If we do that, I think it's much healthier than trying to ground very, very, very specific talking points that are very unprovable yeah. into people's belief system because when you're talking about very specific unprovable faith talking points whatever those may be and you're like demanding someone believes them and especially if you're insisting that they believe these or you know you're going to be tortured alive forever if you don't like that kind of encouraging that kind of faith is ultimately going to be destructive in someone's life but encouraging them in things that are clearly revealed in creation with you know god's nature as love and unity and harmony and grounding faith in the more i feel like the more manifest attributes of god's will is a much safer place to encourage someone to grow in Mm. because you know, that's confirmed all over creation. Those patterns are much more visible and, you know, it's, it's, it's guiding them towards truth that they can really see and know versus just kind of foolishly pushing someone into the unknown and demanding they believe and agree with a certain set of conclusions that you may have. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. As you were saying that, back to the one point of you saying that there's a reason to have a healthy relationship with God. One thing that inspired me to even do this whole thing is because I felt that there was like this moment where I questioned kind of my entire life where I go through all this garbage in my life, go through a divorce, end up at biblical counseling to try to heal from all this. But not only that, like I remember the biblical counselor handing me this paper of like, verses and kind of walking out of like temptation and it it like hit me of like why have we been not taught this in the church like my entire life i feel like i've been going and i've been hearing the same message over and over yeah so i i think it is an important thing to have a healthy relationship relationship with with god and a healthy view of god well and i totally get that i mean the image of God that was fed to me growing up through the religious environment that I was raised in, God was a very stodgy fundamentalist, you know, on a big gold <laughs> throne in the sky, just hating on people. Yeah. And that's and he what... he was a conservative yes, on the political Yes, he was, he yeah. was definitely, <laughs> definitely a registered Republican. Yeah, he was a, <laughs> a yes. Republican, yeah. But yeah, that was, that was also the case. But you know, the the older I get and the more I've traveled internationally, the way I see God now would be much more, I feel, in line with the way St. Paul described him. You know, in him we live and move and have our being. Like, God is the divine life force that animates all things. Yeah. And God literally is love and life. Yeah. And, he, you know, it's because of God that we are alive, that we exist, that we can communicate that we know we're conscious and that like that literally is divinity. Yeah. So absolutely. it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a much different view than maybe the 
theology I was kind of like raised with, but I think it's a much more healthy view because seeing God in a positive and wonderful light mm. is very different than the stodgy fundamentalist who just kind of hates on people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I guess where where do you think, where do we go from here? Well, that's a good question. And really, that's the question that our generation is going to have to answer because the previous generations have been kind of in leadership for a long time, but the baton is inevitably passing and falling into new hands. Yeah. And so I would say truth. And then we need to see a true, a true expression of the supernatural. You know, St. Peter said silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus rise up and walk. We don't have that kind of Christianity. And I think if there's any future, for Christianity in America and ultimately around the world, like we've got to get back to that place of power and we need to honestly recognize we're not there. We can't do that. We somehow lost that ability. We don't know how. And it's like, if, if religion is just a philosophy that's unprovable, it really makes no difference if you believe it or not. But if there's real power that's changing people, fire attracts people to it just by virtue of its expression of power. And if we could get back to that place, I think then all of a sudden we can have real meaningful ministry and it's, it's going to be something significant in people's lives, but where we're at right now, we're not seeing that. So Mm, yeah, for sure. I wanted to take a quick break really quick to tell you guys all about our Patreon. Now for only $5 a month, You get extended cuts, so there's a lot more to these interviews, so you guys will get to see all of that extra content, and you guys also will get early access, so you will get to see these podcasts a week before anybody else does. If you are enjoying this podcast and like the heart behind all of it, it is a great way to support me and my ministry. If you are interested in it, the link will be in the description of the podcast note. So go check it out on Spotify or Apple Music. You'll be able to see it there or in the YouTube description. Thank you again for watching. Back to the episode. One thing I want to ask you, because I feel like I I know this is your famous line. I feel like it all points back to pride and uh, give a give us what uh, your famous quote on pride. Pride is pride is the original sin, and it's yeah. definitely one of the seven deadly sins. And I think it's a sin that can spawn all of the other sins. So mm. a, a, a healthy relationship with God is is a relationship that moves away from pride, but pride is a really tricky animal. There can oh, be pride on, on the righteous side, but there can also be pride in a self-condemnatory side, you know? Yeah. And this is another yeah. thing that's really weird that you see, especially in, in certain variations of Christianity, you can almost have a, a pride and like, I'm just a worthless piece of trash. And it's this, I've seen it's it this before, prideful yeah. self-condemnation. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's not right. That's really not right either. You mm-hmm. are a child of God. You are yeah. never a worthless piece of trash. And yeah. even if you are a wandering child, uh, the real, the the difference is fellowship, not relationship. You're always going to be God's child. Yeah we can have a pride in our self-righteousness, but also kind of like this pride in this sort of self-condemnation. And so just wow. getting away from all of that, recognizing, you know, you're an absolutely, you know, beloved child of God, divine creation. And with that, yes, as a creator being, you know, there's roles and responsibility you know, that we have. And when we fall short of that, uh, the very literal meaning of the word sin is an archery term, meaning missing the mark, you know, when we fall short of that, when, you know, we're not the best we can be when we are beneath, you know, what we, what we could be doing or should be doing, uh, you know, obviously that's not healthy, but recognizing our place as children of God, as beloved, and then moving into that with a humility because of the responsibility that we get to joyfully carry. Mm, Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's so good. And it, it's crazy. I feel like when I really realize how much of an issue pride is in my own life, 
I was like, wow, dude, this thing goes deep. Like there was a time uh, either a year ago or two years ago, um, I was coming to the terms how I was being very disobedient in one part of my life. And I was like, oh no, well, it's just, it's just this one sin. That's, that's what's really like tripping me up and I can't get out of, but kind of taking a kind of walking away from it, taking a step back, realizing, oh man, no, it's not just this one sin. Pride has a huge thing to do with it. And like, I feel like that's when it clicked for me of like, oh my gosh, like I've really been saying like, no God, like I've, you know, just give us, give us a break, you know, give me this, this, uh, pass almost. And realizing that that all stemmed from pride and praying for that. I'm like, wow, God, this pride goes so, so, so deep in my bones and everybody else's. It's a tough, it's a tough thing. And it can so easily creep in there and grow like yeah. a wildflower. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. More than a wildflower, yeah. like, More a, like tree. a wildfire. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <It> just, <laughs> I mean, you see very quickly the the effects of 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 pride versus satisfaction. Wow. Yeah. So live satisfied. That would be. Yeah. That would be, I think, the the takeaway. Live satisfied and, and rejoice in the Lord. Yeah. And also you brought up that being satisfied with God lives leads to a great life. And, you know, Paul says in the Bible that um, discontent le- leads to misery. Yeah. And I truly believe that that is the misery that I've I've experienced in my life for sure is when I become discontent. But there there really is something where at the end of the day, I am truly happy with God and not just because he's given me things or blessed me with things, but just saying like, God, you really are awesome and amazing. And I thank you for this life. I thank you for the peace you've given me, just the faith, the endurance, everything. There really is like something about becoming whole in that. I know know? the difference between a grateful heart versus a condescending heart. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much of a difference in our lives yeah and you know uh, emotional health is huge. oh my goodness especially in our day and yeah. age where mental health and anxiety yeah is a big thing yeah and, you know i see this post going around on facebook all the time and i I'm not going to fight with anybody on it, but I I just, I wish they could see the different part of it. There's, there's this post that says like, I don't care if like you're a Christian, you believe in God, like, you know, you got to take care of your own health. You got to take care of this. You got to take care of that. And kind of saying like, don't put these things on the back burner. Like, and, but one of those that is lifted off, listed off as your mental health. And I can't help but think to myself of like, man, that, that really blows if people think that being a christian that's not included in it is like your mental health and um i'm a huge peter scazzarzo fan on his book emotionally healthy spirituality and he talks about how like one thing that was really harming him as a pastor growing up is he thought like oh you know what i don't need emotional health i just need more jesus in my life i just need more Um, Bible studies, I need to read the Bible more, and then everything will just kind of fall in line. But it's it's way more than that. Well, when it comes to emotional health or ignoring emotional health, I think that would be another one of these Christianisms that Mm, goes around that's a talking point where people can kind of poo-poo emotional health and say, all you need is church, and all you need is to read your Bible, and all you need... and that is not true. You yes. need to have a place of emotional health in yes. your life in order for you to be a good Christian. Yeah. You need to be emotionally healthy if you want to be in in Christian ministry of any shape or form or fashion. Because mm-hmm. if you're not, you will be doing damage. Yeah, Truth is not just a concept. It's a real thing. And it's delivered through a real vessel. And if you're not in a place of emotional health, you're not going to be able to achieve what God needs you to achieve yeah. in this life. So we've got to stop uh, downplaying emotional health and we need to help people get to places of emotional health by encouraging things beyond just 
Sunday school answers of read your Bible more. Yep. Yep. You know, there might be other necessary steps that people have, including, you know, therapy, taking long walks in nature. It could be fasting from social media. Yep. It oh, could yeah. be yeah. having a conversation with a, a mental health professional, getting, getting yeah. real help that can move people to a place of greater emotional health because emotional yeah. and mental health, it, it's a big challenge in our day and age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man, I can't, I love everything you just said. You really drove it home. I can't, yeah, tell you how much emotional health is important. Well, it is. And you, we're seeing a lot of people leave the faith right now, especially a lot of our yeah. generation. And a lot of them do have stories of a really toxic church experience on top of all the other intellectual questioning they were doing. There's a lot of church and religious trauma that people have experienced. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what ultimately causes that are leaders who are not in a place of good emotional and mental health. Yeah. And so they're giving yeah. real, they're giving out, you know, real toxic advice and they're, just quite frankly, being toxic leaders and all of that trauma is passed on to people. So in a faith context, we need to, we need to make mental health a priority, especially yeah. in the lives of our leaders. Mm, dude. Oh, you said it so well. I, I don't even know if there's anything I could add to that. Cause that, <laughs> I mean, that is just so true. And like, and I say this with like all the love in my heart, but yeah, there's there's so many pastors that I've seen where if someone is like calling them a narcissist or someone is like, bro, this this guy just has is so disconnected from his emotions, like to see how that impacts the environment and the community, the people around them in the church, it's Oh, it's a dangerous, slippery slope. It's a tough and, job, and I don't envy any pastors, especially oh, right yeah. now during COVID, where there's yeah. all these weird issues that have become oddly oddly political and religious. I mean, yeah. whether or not you're pro or anti-vaccine or something, is yeah. now all of a sudden something that's like a really tight rope for pastors to walk. You've got yeah. congregation on, very, on either side of the issue, inserting in conspiracy theory and scripture <laughs> yeah. coming at you from all sides. They're getting, they're getting a lot of people firing at them, but all that aside, being a pastor is not an easy job. I mean, definitely not. it's, it's, yeah. it's a calling. It's not a, just a profession. So it is, it's a tough job, but I think especially for pastors, if, if, if they don't maintain a good mental health place, the leadership is going to be so destructive. Oh yeah, I know. Man, there's there's just so many times where I've been under leadership and I look at it and I would never want to be under it again. And if they ask me why not, I would I would hopefully say it in a loving way, but just be like, "Man, I'm sorry, but like there's a lot of things where like I lost so much peace and joy over in this time." And it's because like there was an emotional health here, and um, I love you and I support you, but I just I just couldn't be under the same roof as you again, you know. You know, I see emotional health not just something as important in the church, but I also have the chance to work in Hollywood, and so mm. I meet a lot of people, actors, directors, and you see emotional health also really manifested in kind of a cultural institution like a, the entertainment industry where people's mental health is really challenged because it's also a difficult environment. It's a stressful environment. It's a very competitive environment. And you see some people with really, really, really toxic mental health get into positions of power and they're very destructive in the entertainment industry. And mm, that's yeah. where you get the Harvey Weinsteins and all of those types. But then there's also some people who are in a place of great mental health that somehow make it in there and they stay self-disciplined and connected to source and wow. they can kind of keep their, keep their cool even in the midst of working in a crazy industry. And they're grateful for the good things that happened to them. There was one uh, particular actor that I worked with years ago and 
he was like, today the phone is, he was a little bit older in years, but he's like, today the phone is ringing. And he was like, there's no guarantee on tomorrow. Treat every project as if it is your last. And wow, yeah. he, he was like, make, make it the best experience you can possibly make it. Enjoy it. Have fun because there's 10,000 other people that want our jobs. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. no guarantee of another one. Wow. And he was able to maintain his cool. And this is, um, it's an actor you'd recognize. His name is John Reese Davis. He played Gimli in Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. So, yeah. but he had he had he had a great a great outlook on life, and I think was in a place of pretty good mental health. And wow. you know, he's a little bit up there in years. I don't know if he's really doing anything much now, but probably still is. But you know someone's mental health really impacts their ability to do their job and to do their job well. And it will so impact the energy of all the people around them. Mm -hmm. You know, if you lead from a place of fear and coercion, you're developing a culture of, of fear and coercion all around you. But if you lead from a place of love and power where yeah. you don't need to force people to do things, but yeah. you can lead people from the, the positive side of the leadership spectrum it makes all the difference in the world. It makes a huge difference in society. It makes a huge difference yeah. in the church. It makes a huge difference in government. Wow. So yeah, I think I think mental health is definitely and a topic of great importance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When when did you kind of come to this conclusion in your life? Do you feel like that was something your parents instilled in you or you kind of You know, it? I would say I've come to this conclusion over time and I wouldn't say I was always here and I'm still working on quote unquote getting there. Yeah. But early on in my film career, I wanted to be successful kind of at all costs. Like I just want to just want to get out there and be someone. Yeah. I want to sure. Make a name for myself, make movies, and I was really trying to get a gig of directing, you know, a major franchise film mm. or something like that. Yeah. And I worked so hard. I was chasing down leads, and the if entertainment industry, as you know, is a tough industry. Like you, you cannot yeah. just sit back and say yeah. I'm talented. They should be coming in any minute. Yeah, uh, with, fortunately it doesn't work that way. With my next big gig, but that yeah. is not the way it works. You have to kind of go out and make the opportunities for yourself. And Absolutely. so that's what I was doing. I was running around chasing down leads, aggressively going after things and falling flat on my face on some of them and some of them making them work. And there was one particular film that I did that I was really forcing it and I made it work. and it wound up being an experience that brought me much sorrow oh, man. and it yeah. was not a good experience. And I, I, I pushed and forced myself into something, into a situation that was a very toxic mm. environment yeah. and coming out of that project, I was like, I will never do that again. Yeah, My mental health is way more important than my career. I don't wow. care if I never make another movie again. I don't care if I never work a day in this industry again. Yeah. I am going to prioritize what makes me a better person and that's living satisfied and living in a place without ego without i've got to be this i've got to do this i've got to make this whatever that is that's not what i need i ultimately need to be in the you know in step with the divine yeah. where God has made me to be. And hopefully with that, you know, I'll go out and, and function in that and try to make great artwork and make great films. If that opportunity opens up and actually shortly after that really toxic uh, project, I was able to do my next project and it was a fantastic, a fantastic experience. Everything went phenomenal. Oh, and nice. I was making it for much more of a place of like love and, I don't need this. We're not doing this to advance my career or anyone's career. Like yeah. we're, we're, we're making artwork from a good place, not mm -hmm. just this starving scarcity, competitive orphan mindset that I did the previous project in. So, yeah. And, and it's had other implications. I was last year being considered to possibly direct a major fantasy movie and i was in a meeting with some powerful people and i was 
it was this big kids adventure steampunk movie uh, that was gonna potentially star an a-list actor name you would know and they were considering me and i was i was pushing for it but i wasn't just aggressively fighting for it and yeah. i wound up getting uh, kind of voted off the island oh, and man. they they didn't choose me and then later on the whole project fell apart but yeah. i have a friend of mine who was like if you were more of a bulldog and made them make you <laughs> you could be so much further in your career you could mm. be way more successful and i i get what he's he's saying yeah but I, I'm like, that's, that's, that's not me, bro. That's yeah. not me. Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, if I would have been a bulldog and pushing that, the whole project fell apart anyways. Like I could tell it was already, there was a number of, well, a whole host of red flags that had come up already in it. I was like, this is a project I would love to do. It'd be the ultimate kind of Daniel Knutson movie, but, uh, I don't need this. Yeah. You know, I don't need this. And if it comes my way, that's great. If not though, I don't need this. I'm perfectly happy and content without it. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is that time in everybody's life. There was definitely for mine where you're in an environment or a time in your life that's so unhealthy emotionally and you learn from that. And that's what really makes you say, I never want to do this again. Something drastic has to happen here. Yep. Well, there are some moments that bring you to your knees, yeah, <laughs> figuratively or literally. You know, yeah. <laughs> that was so miserable and oh, so man. awful. From this day forward, yeah, I am going to realign my values. I am not going to just go after some opportunity. I I got off. There was potential for a big contract with a. a I got some inside information on something that was going on in a particular film distribution company and a type of project they were looking for. And I just jumped at, like I could, yeah. I could get, I could get into their stable. I could get into their fold. I could make this movie that could bring me, bring me over here and bring me fame and fortune. Yeah. <laughs> and it did not work out. And it also mm. brought in a lot of deep sorrow into my life. And it was a wow. really, really rough and difficult experience. And I knew in my heart, some of that, was me jumping at an opportunity, taking initiative, which is a good thing, yeah. but pushing too hard and kind of taking initiative in the wrong place. And I was doing it for the wrong motivation. And that was key. Yeah. And I'm like, this was not started from a place of good mental health and it only got worse. And so I never want to do that again. I don't yeah. care what the offer is. Where do you think you were at that time with like your mental health of you saying it wasn't good? Well, I think I was even in a place of okay mental health because I've always been in a place of pretty good mental health. I'd say yeah. one of the things I've been extraordinarily blessed with, I've always just been kind of a handy person. Someone who's always done things with my hand. I mean, as you know, right now I'm building a house building myself. Building a freaking house. Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. So I think there's an, I do think there's just an element of working with your hands or something so kind of primitive and earthy and ancient about that that yeah. makes people happier than they realize something i say another one of my potentially quotable lines is this we need more carpenters and fewer celebrity pastors yes. you know i think we wow. would have a lot more mental health in the church if more pastors would take a couple semesters of carpentry and keep doing uh, carpentry as a hobby yeah as opposed to just studying academic resources about religion or faith, but that's a digression. At, at that particular point in my life, I wasn't, well, I actually really wasn't in a great place. I was in, a, I was coming from a scarcity mindset place of desperation. Mm. And I was like, my career is washed up and I need something to really wow. kickstart me. And I, yeah. like, I was like, I need this to work. Yes. And wow. I, got off the phone from a friend of mine who had just had a meeting with a VP of a particular company. And she told me, it's like, they're looking to buy all these movies, you know, next year, if you've got this script, turn it, go into production right now. And I kind of had an idea. And so I, I mean, I, I was shooting by the end of the month on a new feature film Wow. that, I mean, I was throwing together at lightning speed and I was yeah. working my heart out and, a ton of stuff went wrong. It was unbelievable Dang. drama. Oh. And it was, 
it was it was ultimately kind of a sad experience that brought a lot of sorrow yeah. uh, into my life and into other people's lives. And oh, I knew when I finished that I made the wrong decisions getting into this because I was not in a place of good mental health. Oh, man. You know, something that stuck out to me when you said that is you said you did it out of desperation. Yeah. And this came into my mind just now. I believe there's a lot of times where we do things for security or from security. And this yeah. all goes back to our relationship with God of saying, God, um, am I doing this right now because I am secure in you, therefore I want to do this? Or am I doing this for security? And um, I think that's really what separates the boys from the men and makes oh, you're the absolutely right. good well, from awful decisions. Absolutely. Cause the one is making it from a fear-based mindset. It's making yep. it from a scarcity-based mindset, yep. or you could be making decisions from a faith-based mindset and from an abundance-based mindset. Absolutely. You know, God has blessed me each day. I, you know, I'm coming from an abundant mindset and I'm yeah. going to get a chance to go out and bless the world with this new creative endeavor that I'm embarking on, or it can be from this scarcity mindset that's filled with fear. And it's like, I've got to make this work or I'm going to be starving yeah. on the streets. And when wow. you start making decisions from a scarcity mindset, all these things cloud your judgment and it just gets worse and worse and worse from there. So yeah, <laughs> that wow. was definitely my story. And I'm like, it was a bad enough experience that I'm like, I have to change. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. But the places I've really made the wrong decisions is when I've leaned into that scarcity mindset because that is a virus and it can very easily grow on you. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I this I might be uh, this might be a shot in the dark here, but I I saw um, a video today on the internet where this guy was talking about like if you want your child to be traumatized and be going to therapy for their entire life. It's gonna be. It's gonna all go back to the reason why you had your child in the first place. Of okay. did you have this kid because you wanted someone to love you unconditionally because you thought it was gonna meet some need you had in your life, and um, it made me think of like, man, that there's so many other ways that you could spin this as well, like you know, the reason you get married, is it doing it? I have to be married. Okay. Right. Why do you have to be married? Oh, well, you know, I just, you know, financial stability, this, that it's like, okay, but like, you don't need to be married to do that. Well, why do you need this car? Why do you need this? Well, I just, you know, it all goes back to that. And I think if we start questioning you're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, yeah. you wind up in, in the, the wrong results in the wrong places and, and dissatisfaction. Yeah. Absolutely. But if you do the right things for the right reasons, you're going to be in a much better place. Yeah. Wow. I really want to question my entire, not life, but uh, <laughs> moving forward, always ask myself that question of, do I need this right now? Like, is God... Will this bring me closer to God? Will this make me holier? Can I do his kingdom better through this? Or am I just doing it? Well, I feel I like that's the it. ultimate test of faith. If you're living a life full of anxiety and scarcity, it reveals that you really don't believe. Yeah. You know, that God is sovereign over us. Absolutely. And so, you know, if you really trust his plan, even if you don't understand it, you can walk forward in, in a place of abundance and hope. But, you know, those are some, some key indicators as to how healthy your faith truly is. Yeah, absolutely. And all that goes back to emotional health yeah. as well. Well, emotional health and mindset. And the reality is it's very difficult. We all have three relationships that have a massive determining Im impact in our lives. And that's relationships with our father, our mother, and our childhood. Mm. You know, things that we've experienced in our childhood, be that bullying or other difficult challenges, you know, those things impact us and live with us the rest of our lives. And so if we don't sort them out and figure out ways to, you know, healthily overcome whatever challenges we faced, we're going to just continue the chain of, of brokenness or whatever it is mm. and just pass that down to the next generation or to the people around us. But 
if we can overcome those challenges, we can be a blessing to the people around us and yeah. be a blessing in our communities and our workplaces and our projects. Absolutely. And all of that. A lot of this stuff. Um, do you want to share that just kind of what you have coming up in the future right now? Sure. Absolutely. So I've got a new movie. It's a documentary. It's my first documentary that I've ever done. So this is nice. not a narrative movie, but it is a feature film. All right. It's called Eternal Theater. And nice. Alec, uh, did the did the the music orchestration and mixing on the uh, title song in it? So yeah, that was a, super fun. Yeah, great great song. A lot of fun doing that project. But so I've got a new movie. It's called Eternal Theater, and it's really about a lot of these concepts. And one of the things that I kind of really key in on is church history. You know, oh, right. what did Christianity look like before it became an empire? Oh, wow. You know, the first 500 years of the Christian church were historically the most effective centuries of Christianity worldwide. It had a massive spread throughout the known world at the time. It was an organic movement that took off with a lot of power. Mm -hmm. And then it became so popular. Constantine converted, became a Christian. And the empire for for a while, you know, we were a Christian. There was a Christian empire that really impacted the creation and evolution of Western civilization. And you know, we fast forward to today. You know, we read the we read Jesus and we read the disciples. And then we like maybe fast forward fifteen hundred years and maybe read some reformers. You know, John Calvin, Martin Luther, yeah. and then you know we maybe read modern authors today. But mm. there's a huge gap in our knowledge of what happened in those first. 500 years and that's the time mm. where christianity was really the most effective and it was really vastly different than the church of what we think of today because christianity was not an empire and the religion didn't exist in the way it does today you know the bible as we know it did not exist for the first uh, 400 years the first 380 years of that mm. you know all of these things that we sort of stake the faith on today you know, the inerrancy of scripture and these concepts that we've come up with in our modern time, yeah. that didn't even exist. Oh, you know, right. the, yeah. the book didn't exist. You know, the, the wow. movement was so powerful. It was transformational in people's lives. They, they weren't just selling people on a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so the movie categorizes what doctrinal shifts have happened and how things changed when Christianity became an empire and how that impacts us to where we are today. And how do we get back to that place of... Wow. Uh, of of source, you know, really going back to to the source, and my, you know, my basic uh, philosophical presentation, and this is the idea that there's there's stories and patterns that exist throughout all of time. And all of those stories point to redemption. They point us to the, all the great stories wow, that exist yeah. and continue on. They all have these elements that point us towards ultimate hope and redemption. Wow. And that's really what I, where I feel the gospel message is. It's, it's, it's this, this ultimate, uh, this really the ultimate source of hope and wow. redemption. And so pointing people to that. And I feel that that is the historic Christian message. Mm. And so it's a documentary that kind of walks people, uh, walks people through Christian history, through theology. I've gotten a number of uh, leading Bible scholars and theologians from all over the world commenting really? on that. I've got That's so awesome, some dude. pastors and Christian leaders, and I've been interviewing oh. people. So I've been putting this documentary yes. together for a little over a decade. It's been a long time coming, wow. but... Hopefully, it'll be a project that people will find interesting and hopefully encouraging. Dude, that's amazing, man. That is so freaking awesome, dude. I love how you said that there is, like back then during the time, Christianity was a lot more like effective then. And to look back at that time and say, oh, I'm curious, why, why is that? And to see their patterns and i personally i'm a firm believer that like and not even just like christianity just life in general like i look back at what people were doing in the 60s and i'm like man they had a lot better of a life back then without all this technology the internet all this stuff and even looking further back and trying to understand that of like man why do these people have such a better life and i think it really is always going backwards to kind of move forward of 
they had such a much more fulfilling life back then. Why is it less fulfilling now? So there, there's a reason for that. But dude, that is amazing. I love that. Well, it's been an interesting project to make. I'm looking forward to getting it out there. So thank you so much for helping with the song. The song is awesome. Heck yeah, man. I'm excited. Thanks to to the amazing Alec Talent. And Mike Finney. Oh my goodness. He has got such a good voice. I remember from the moment you pitched me his his voice as an option for the vocals i was like man i hope we can get that guy yeah dude he's he's amazing i hope to have him here on the podcast as well because yeah you gotta get him on the podcast he's got a great story i would be curious to sit down with him and hear the entire breadth of his story just a little bit that he was telling us but yeah i'm i'm super pumped to hear him share a story because that'll be It'll be really interesting. That'll be good. Yeah, but Daniel, thank you so much again for being on here, for driving through this blizzard, the snow. And uh, yeah, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Okay, well, Alec, thank you so much. It was great being on here. And I'm happy to face the snow to just (laughs) hang out and have fun. And it's been great doing music with you. And thank you, everyone, for watching. And I just want to close by saying hope never dies. So stay in hope. Let's go, everybody. Daniel Knudsen, thank you. Thank you all for watching this episode of The Road to Reconstruction. Daniel, as you see, is such an amazing guy, and he has such a genuine heart. So I think one thing that I love about seeing creatives like him is, you know, when he's directing, when he's making movies, when he's doing all this, you know that he's doing it for the right reasons. He has just such a genuine heart, and that's something that I always value about Daniel. Now, he didn't say it in the episode, but I believe I'm allowed to say this. So his new movie, Eternal Theater, is out on March 1st. So it is an amazing documentary of everything that he was kind of giving us a sneak peek about. So if you guys are interested in that, I will leave a link in the description below as well. Thank you again for watching this week's episode of The Road to Reconstruction. I hope you have an amazing week. Thank you.